Dr. Edward Pretorius is about to embark on an incredible journey. It's out of control. You've got to turn it off. Creators of Reanimator from Beyond. Wednesday at 7 on Fox 17 WDBB. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the Canadian rape ape himself. That's right. Still aping, still raping. I'm not sure that's what you wanted to say, but I'm going to leave it in anyway. We also that's have fine. we also have the Cecil himself. Uh, I am not doing any of that. Aping or raping. I am not doing any aping or raping. That's fine. It doesn't play into our topic at all tonight anyway. We're going to be <laughs> looking at the career of Stuart Gordon, who recently passed. But before that, if you guys want to help out the show, you go to, we're all in quarantine right now, so you go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. All for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Get yourself a little something for quarantine. But also, while you're in quarantine, you're going to be going to some of the darker parts of the internet. So what you want to do is you get a, a digital condom, which is a VPN, a virtual private network. Go to 1201beyond.com backslash VPN. That'll take you to Nord's site. NordVPN, if you go through our link you'll be able to get 75% off of a three-year plan. It's only $3.79 a month for Nord's protection. They'll encode your data. They'll protect your data. You'll be able to get around region locking. You'll be able to go to some of the skeevier parts of the internet and have a little bit of protection. 1201beyond.com backslash VPN. So Stuart Gordon just recently died. And Stuart Gordon is one of those guys, we all grew up watching Stuart Gordon movies. And some people watch Stuart Gordon stuff that they didn't even realize was Stuart Gordon stuff, which we'll talk about when we get to those. Stuart Gordon was... And I don't want this to sound as mean as it's going to. He was a very workmanlike director. He did not have a distinct style all to his own. Like, you, you immediately, if you see a Sam Raimi movie, you go, wow, this feels like Sam Raimi. Or John Carpenter, god, this really feels like John Carpenter. You can't really say that about Stuart Gordon. You can't really say, wow, this really feels like a Stuart Gordon movie. But his stuff was always well made. Even when he was really low on budget, his stuff was very good, very well lit. I don't want to say competent, because that sounds insulting. The man was very workmanlike, and part of that comes from his history as a play director. But before that, what movie do you think of when you think of Stuart Gordon? I got to go back to the first Stuart Gordon movie I ever saw, which was Robot Jocks. I, I love it. Uh, I know the majority of people are probably going to say Reanimator. Understandable. That is uh, one of his quite possibly his most famous film. I've always just had a soft spot for Robot Jocks. I think it's a really fun movie. I uh, love the, um, the, the stop motion uh, puppets. And it's just a neat 
little story. It, and as far as going with, with Stuart Gordon, uh, with his style, versatile would probably be a good word. With Sam Raimi and whatnot, they have a very distinct look. But his stuff, he can do something like Reanimator and then do something like the wonderful ice cream suit and then do something like King of the Ants. And they're very distinctly different. But he was a director who really could handle different kind of source materials and do them in a way that it felt right for that production, but didn't necessarily have the look of uh, that particular director. I'd say that's even harder to do because it, it's almost like chameleon-like that he can do different genres and different stuff where you really don't know, uh, you know, it doesn't have that specific look to it. But it's, all, like you said, though, it is always competently done. It's always lit well. It's always constructed well. Everything is good. He, I, as far as I'm concerned, he's never done a bad production. I'm going to say Guyver. I know that he was more, him and Yuzna were more producers on that one, but that's the one I always think back to because I was a massive fan of Guyver Bio Booster Armor when I was a kid, and I loved the movies, particularly the, the second film, but the first one stands out to me for kind of introducing me to Stuart Gordon and Brian Yuzna's work. They even do a little bit parody on themselves by having Jeffrey Combs play a character named Dr. East which I thought was pretty great. But yeah, I always go back and I think of I think of Guyver because it was my stepping stone point of finding out about this uh, fantastic filmmaker and these movies. And it all started from Guyver and then it snowballed into From Beyond, Reanimator, Dagon, movies like that. Guyver is still a movie that I go back and, and rewatch a lot. So that's the one I'm going to go with. I don't really consider that one a Stuart Gordon movie, but I see where you're coming from, but that's not really Stuart Gordon. Stuart it is. He is a producer on it, and it does have his uh, his stamp on it quite heavily. Like, a lot of his elements and Brian Usna's elements are there. So to me, it's it's always been a Stuart Gordon and Brian Usna film because it really does feel like one. Well, Stuart Gordon began, he, he's a Wisconsinite, he began uh, teaching theater, and this is going to come into play in a lot of his work. He was a theater director at the University of Wisconsin, and in 1968, he really made a name for himself when he put on a production of Peter Pan, where all of the actors were naked. So he got arrested for that, which really got him a, a lot of credibility, and he would make plays constantly. He would work with David Mamet all the time. He would eventually then move to Chicago, where he would do his plays. He would work with a lot of unknown actors, like Joe Montaigne, Dennis Franz, William H. Macy, John Malkovich, Gary Sinise, Laurie Metcalf, Ed O'Neill, Dennis Farina, these unknown actors at the time. And this was called the American Theater Company. And then eventually, after putting on all of these plays, he decided to move into film. Although, at this point, it's still TV film, and they're basically just televised plays. His first credit for directing off of a play was 1979's Bleacher Bums for Chicago TV. Is really, it's just the play Bleacher Bums, but just shot on videotape the camera is locked down and you just have people sitting on a bleach on the bleachers watching the chicago bears game and the they're all of their interactions for 90 minutes it's quite boring actually but what do you expect when you put a play onto onto the screen and then he would just continue producing these things for a while and then charles band is ramping up empire pictures is going great at this point Stuart Gordon is hired for Reanimator, the adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft 
Lovecraft's Reanimator. And this would arguably be his most famous film. And it was it was with Reanimator that he really learned how to be a director, both by his own words and by by working under Charlie Band. Because the movie we see was at the time not Stuart Gordon's cut of the film. He mm. was infuriated because remember when he when he was doing these plays you have all these long dialogue scenes and things like that that further the story he's not used to the medium of film quite yet how a movie works behind the scenes and charlie cut all of those scenes that are all the deleted scenes on the dvd all the nonsense dialogue that doesn't go anywhere all of the hypnosis subplot of reanimator he was incensed that band would cut these scenes. And what he didn't realize, he said he would, didn't even talk to band for about a month because he was so angry with them for taking his movie away from him. After seeing it with audiences, he realized band made the right call. Band made the movie better and in Stuart Gordon's words, might have saved the film. He thinks if... Wow. Gordon thinks if he had released his cut of the movie to theaters, this movie never would have caught on because the pacing is terrible, it just is way too slow, and it is over long. Charlie Band saved Reanimator and taught Stuart Gordon a very valuable lesson. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I had heard uh, the same story. I think it, it makes sense. I mean, it was, you know, early mid 80s. And with Gordon's history of working in theater, this was kind of a big departure for him. And he there is a, a major difference between theater director and a movie director. Uh, you have a lot of things in theater that people will be putting up with that they will not put up with in a movie. The reason why they have big, long dialogue sequences in theater is because they're not going to have all these uh, the ability to have all these drastic set changes and whatnot. Whereas in a movie, you kind of need that stuff to move things forward. This is a case of where band made the right call and rightfully so. I mean, the uh, usually I side with the director, but this is a case of where the director didn't really understand exactly what he was making. Uh, he still did a very good job. He just needed to defer in the case of the editor and the producer understanding what they were doing a little bit better and making the movie into what it was. Like the core elements were still there. I mean, obviously... They didn't do massive reshoots and fix the film like happens a lot of times nowadays, but they were able to take what he had shot and they just trim out a lot of the superfluous dialogue, things that didn't necessarily mean to be there, made the film a very tight, concise, entertaining film that people are still talking about today. The other thing with Reanimator, th this very much, and I like how it's directed because it works for Lovecraft in this case. Up till about 1989, everything Stuart Gordon would direct he directed like it was a stage play. Look at how little camera movement there are in any of his 80s movies. He just basically locks the camera down, and then this is like the stage, and you come in and the actors do their thing, and then we make the cuts in editing. He directed his movies like plays. Technically is kind of boring... But in the case of a Lovecraft adaptation, that can work. And I think it does in Reanimator's case. It doesn't so much when you get to some of his later movies, but the man rarely moved the camera. I think he was always in that we're making a play sort of mentality. That sort of made his work stand apart from everything else that was coming out at the time. Obviously, Reanimator is one of my favorites that he did. I think it's a brilliant adaptation of the story. It's very faithful to it while at the same time being a modern 
adaptation of the reanimator story I, I think it's a great film i think jeffrey combs did a great job barbara crampton did a great job the effects are great i think it's just awesome i i love the fact that peter kent arnold's stunt double was in the movie because they were filming on the same lot just across the street arnold basically offered Kent's services he said you know you, you, it sounds like you guys need a a really buff zombie dude uh if you want you can uh I got my buddy Peter Kent over here. He's super jacked. You can use him as your uh, morgue zombie, uh, which I think James is... James uh, Cameron's is... dad is also in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like both uh, Terminator and Reanimator were being made at the uh, pretty much at the exact same time. And, and Return of the of... Living Dead. Return of the and Living Return Dead of... also, yes. the, the, the table where David Gale's head is, that's the same table that would be reused by Dan O'Bannon for the cut-in-half female zombie from Return of the Living Dead because all of these were being shot at the same sets, the same props. In a weird way, their Terminator, Reanimator, and Return of the Living Dead are all weirdly connected. They are, yeah, because they were all being filmed at the same time on the same set, and they were all kind of working with each other, too. So there's a lot of very interesting history when it comes to Reanimator. And as I said, it's a great movie. It's one that I revisit a lot, and I just think it's it's totally awesome. Easily one of the uh, best Lovecraft adaptation films around the same time as Reanimator. Now, Stuart Gordon didn't have anything necessarily to do with this show. He had a play called E slash R, E-R. That was turned into a one-season TV show starring Elliot Gould and George Clooney. Yes, George Clooney was starred in the 80s ER as well as the 90s ER. It was kind of strange for George Clooney. But that was, <laughs> that, was, that was based on Gordon's play. So while he didn't technically have anything to do with it, it's still Stuart Gordon related. But then mm. after that, he, he realized that working with Charles Band was a good thing, that Band would help direct him and guide him. Hey, let's make another Lovecraft adaptation from Beyond, which, as we've discussed many times, is more of a Lovecraft sequel than it is an adaptation. Only the first mm. ten minutes are an actual adaptation. After that, it's a sequel. I think From Beyond might be Stuart Gordon's strongest film, because I think after Reanimator, and learn he started to learn the differences, like I said, between plays and cinema. This was the, his most maybe experimental work. All of the great lighting and the huge sets. He moved the camera more in this one. I think From Beyond is probably Stuart Gordon's best film. You two may disagree with me. It is such an amazing Lovecraft film. Works without you even being familiar with Lovecraft. I just showed this one to my girlfriend about two years ago. She'd never seen it. When I got the Empire box set, I showed it to her. I think From Beyond is just amazing. I think From Beyond, without a doubt, his best work probably have to to agree quality wise uh shot wise effects wise just everything wise it's it's not my favorite of his works but i think like i said robot jocks just holds a special place but i definitely think it is the most well put together everything across the board i mean he was firing on all cylinders everything about that movie is just awesome so yeah i pretty much agree it is my personal favorite Stuart Gordon movie. Probably the one I watch the most. I love the color. I love the goopy, gross-out effects of it. From Beyond is is awesome, and in my opinion, is definitely his best work among my favorite of uh, 80s horror films in general. Well, and then after that, he would continue to work for band. He would go make dolls, which is 
Not my least favorite, but one of my least favorite, Stuart Gordon. I've never gotten into the whole Killer Dolls thing. Whether Mm. it's the Puppet Master movies, the Demonic Toys movies. Charlie Band loves Killer Doll movies. I don't. (laughs) I don't like these. It's not like, oh, they're creepy. You know, some people are like, oh, creepy little dolls. They creep me. No, I just, I don't like these. First of all, I don't think it's intimidating when you can punt the villain. That doesn't make for an intimidating villain. It's like you got taken down by things you could punt. No, I don't like dolls. I I literally only saw this one one time on VHS, and I never wanted to revisit it again. I can't say this is a good or bad Stuart Gordon movie, but I just do not think it's a good movie. I like dolls. Uh, I don't have a problem with it. I have a story of a evil doll that one of my relatives owned and they creep me out. Like I don't, you know, I'm not one of those people that freaks out like with clowns and that kind of thing and doll. Oh, it's so terrifying. But I think that there is an inherent creepiness to some of them. And the beauty of dolls was that they didn't like what a lot of more modern ones did, like the Annabelle movie. They had a doll and they made it look too creepy. And it's like, and then by doing that, it didn't make it creepy. You just take something that pre- that exists and it inherently is creepy. And that was the thing with a lot of the dolls that they used in that. They were just regular dolls that they bought that looked creepy, which in, I think in turn made them more creepy. I think it's good. I don't have a problem with that. Like I like the Child's Play movies. I think that they're, they're good. I mean, uh, with, with the exception of like the first one, first one's a little more straight horror but they do get a little bit more silly but entertaining and i don't know if you've got if you got a doll coming at you or something yes you could kick it but i mean it's not it doesn't have organs so it's not going to be in pain like you know if you were to kick a human or something i mean there's a lot of different ways you could look at killer doll things so uh i i don't i have no problem with it and i also like like the puppet master movies and all them they're awesome but they're not they're they're a whole different animal altogether I like dolls. Pretty much the same vein as something like Puppet Master and Ghoulies and whatnot, like the, the little little rubber monsters and whatnot. So I've, I've always had a lot of fun with that. I don't know if he was just getting a weird itch or if he needed the money, but he went and made probably the strangest thing in his entire filmography. He was contacted by Triaminic, yes, the cough syrup company, to make a kid's video about fire safety at home it's called kid safe and he wrote and directed this thing with a bunch of sctv cast members <laughs> and it's surreal to watch because first of all you've got these you know 35 year old adults playing children you know with the pigtails and they're talking like this and everything which is just bizarre but he's also got Freddy and Jason parodies in it and there's an alien in it and they, they're like sticking forks into light sockets and it's it's bizarre to think this was a Stuart Gordon videotape. It was uh, it was weird, but I'm glad I watched it. It's definitely uh, strange to see him doing an after school special, basically, but it's fun when it's a Stuart Gordon after school special. I think you sent me clips of it or something if i remember i i saw it like i did i didn't see the entire thing i just saw like bits and pieces of it and i'm like yeah they, what the hell is this that's why i said i don't know if it's because i i can't say he hasn't always had an itch because he's he will go on to make kids properties later so maybe he just really wanted to make something for children maybe he was in a financial slump and triaminic just came 
to him and was, or maybe it was that kind of workmanlike thing we talked about. Hey, okay, I, I can make this kid's video for you. I'll get a couple of SCTV people I know from Canada. It's it's a job. Yeah, like exactly. there are. I've spoken to many actors where you're like, you know, well, what what made you do this and versus this movie? And it's like it was a job. And it's like, do you remember anything about it? And it was like, no, not really. You know, I went, I did my part. And like, you've got some actors who really just kind of look at it like that. And then in this case, and in some cases, I would say there are other directors who really are doing it, not necessarily, and this is not an insult to Gordon. He's looking at, you know, he's coming at it from a work perspective. This is what I do. This is what I make. Here's somebody offering to pay me to do this. I am going to do this job. One of the reasons I think he he just always had an itch for this would be the next thing he did, which is not Robot Jocks, even though that's the next movie he directed. He wrote and created for Disney, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and he intended to direct it. He wanted to. He was mad at Disney for a long time, he said, for not allowing him to direct Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. But in a way, his own history had sort of shot him in the foot because they're like, uh, you're the guy who made Reanimator and From Beyond. You are not directing our big-budget Disney movie. No. <laughs> so he, he wrote and produced... Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and the sequels and the TV series. That's why I think Kids Safe might have been his default, because he seemed to really want to make something for children, but Disney wouldn't let him. Although, I don't know how much he could really be mad at Disney, because he would work for them multiple more times in the future, so apparently he wasn't too mad at Disney to stop working for them, but Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was Stuart Gordon. He just didn't direct that one. He went on to direct Robot Jocks for Charlie Band again. And that's the one Cecil's admitted it's his favorite. It is not my favorite. It's not terrible, but it is not my favorite of any of those. Robot Jocks, again, it's very workmanlike. You don't really see much of a style other than him pulling in people like Jeffrey Combs for cameos and stuff like that. I don't know, Robot Jocks just, he came across as goofy with the the whole Cold War thing and we settle everything with giant robot battles and then the thumbs up at the end is cheesy as all hell. Awesome, (sighs) you mean? Oh. Oh, just say, like, that movie made me fall in love with Gary Graham. He's fantastic. And then, uh, you know, he went off to be in the the Alienation. Alienation TV Uh, series is what I know. He's awesome in that. Uh, You've got uh, Anne-Marie Johnson, who was Roger's wife in the sequel to uh, What's Happening, uh, What's Happening Now. You know, you've got uh, Alexander (laughs) Achilles, the whole movie. It's it's just cool. Like there's something it's it's basically Rock'em Sock'em Robots as a big, you know, a larger production. It's just there's so much to enjoy about it. And yeah, I mean, there's the whole Cold War aspect to it. There is uh, a, a certain weird future, but not really the future aspect to it. I don't know. It just it, it works for me. I, I love it dearly. Love the effects. It it feels like uh, almost Paul Verhoeven-esque. Really enjoy it. Really enjoy the political satire, the social satire, the stop motion robot effects are great. Uh, and as Cecil said, it's it's like basically like a big Rock'em Sock'em Robots movie. I've always really enjoyed that one a lot. Well, then after that, they're still making Honey, I Shrunk movies, but he's not directly involved with that. 
But then he made a TV movie called Daughter of Darkness with Mia Sarah. Uh, it was released on, on VHS, so, so a lot of people might have seen this one on VHS, but it was a TV movie originally. I've only seen it once. All I remember is she goes to Romania, Mia Sara does, and it turns out she's like Dracula's daughter, or there's a vampire cult, or something. I don't remember a lot about this one, and again, very workmanlike. I'm not trying to be insulting to Stuart Gordon, but you would think after all the horror stuff he's done, he would develop a style, and he kind of doesn't. That this could this could be directed by Toby Hooper. It could be directed by John Landis. It I don't know. Daughter of Darkness just feels bland to me. I'm pretty sure I saw it a long time ago. I honestly don't remember much about it. I watched it because I really had a crush on Mia Sarah. Now Empire Pictures is dead at this point, but Full Moon is up and running. So Stuart Gordon falls back into Charlie's ba- Charlie Band's arms and makes The Pit and the Pendulum. I didn't like, but I like elements of. First of all, Lance Henriksen just steals the movie from everybody. Lance Henriksen yes. is is taking this almost too seriously. You almost feel he's <laughs> kind of methoded as Takamata. Faze, you can't Takamata anything. Him and Jeffrey Combs are great in it. This is another one of those shot in Romania full moon movies where you can tell, other than Jeffrey Combs and Lance Henriksen, the rest of the cast, English is not a first language, and they're mm-hmm. not professional actors. Actors. That's why I think this movie gets drugged down. It's got a lot of crap in it that doesn't need to be there, all due to full moons. We'll shoot in Romania! Nonsense. Very, very, very creepy film. And yeah, uh, Lance Henriksen, as always, is just consummate professional. He's really giving a terrific, creepy He almost is taking it too seriously, isn't he? Yeah, he's really, like, I enjoy the film, but he is on a different level than the film kind of, I, I don't want to say the film deserves. Well, because Jeffrey but... Combs looks like he's having fun. Lance Henriksen looks like he's channeling Takamata. Yeah, he's really, really, really taking it seriously. And I don't know, I think it, it works in that aspect because it, it, it has the seriousness of it with him. And then, uh, you know, not lighthearted, but not as serious with Jeffrey Combs. There's a, a good bit of gore in it. It's a, it's kind of a very disgusting movie, but uh, I, I like it. It's, uh, you know, another full moon movie and uh, it's it's neat. It's, it's a departure. Uh, that was the thing that I did dig about Stuart Gordon doing the Empire and full moon movies. His movies were very standout, you know, or they stood out from a lot of the other full moon movies. Not saying that, you know, his movies are better and those movies are worse. Just mean like when you go and you look at Castle Freak and Robot Jocks and Pit and the Pendulum, they're a lot different, you know, trancers and subspecies and, and those kind of films. So it, it was kind of a neat thing where he was kind of going in this direction where they were going in another direction, but still it was all kind of from the same company. Great vibe. Again, uh, as you said, Lance Henriksen steals the film, which is not easy to do when you've got Jeffrey Combs involved in the production. I think the movie has a great look. I think it's got a great pace. That's one that I've always very much enjoyed from the video store rental days. After that, he would go and make Fortress, which I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on because in our future prison episode, we discussed it extensively, but I really like Fortress. I think it's really well directed. I I would have loved if it had been the big budget version with Arnold. I don't know how much creative control Stuart Gordon would have been able to keep. Ben, that I actually think Fortress benefits from not being a wide theatrical release film. It really benefits because I think Stuart Gordon, he was able to bring in Tom Tolles and Jeffrey Cohn 
films and actors that I don't think if this had been a 20th Century Fox film that would have been able to to be, be in this movie. You wouldn't see Vernon Wells as the bad guy. Things like, hell, you, hell, you wouldn't have had Christopher Lambert. But, or, or even pro- probably not even Kirkwood Smith. I think Fortress is one of those weird movies. Its production problems actually helped the film. It's got a good vibe. It moves at a good clip. Stuart Gordon really does give this one, like I said, he might not have a lot of style, but his movies tend to, like we've put it out with From Beyond. Fortress has a great, almost oppressive vibe to it. I really love Fortress. Oh, Fortress is awesome. It's such a cool, unique vibe. They all are in this prison where they can't even have a moment's rest because they're monitoring their their dreams. It, it's just, it's it's a very neat film. I, I like it a lot. I want to do a video on it at some point in the future. It, it benefits too from, like you said, from being smaller, from being very confined. Uh, it didn't need to be a gigantic action movie because... The moments in it that are action-y are very effective and are very brief. For Lambert, it's just awesome as always. I love it a lot. That is just such an awesome movie that more people need to check out. Well, because originally it was supposed to be a 30 to $40 million Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle. And then when Arnold dropped out, then it became what it became because he very wisely went to do Terminator 2 instead. Then they said, well, we can't justify spending this much money unless Arnold's involved. And like I said, I think the movie benefits from being a smaller film. It is a case of where you do wonder, like, if we could have a look into, like, an alternate world, would this have been if Arnold was in it? Like, I'd also like to see that version. But, you know, that version will never happen now, obviously. But it just, it would be neat to see what directions they went with it, what they did with the same basic story. They probably would go, like, way more action with it with Arnold being in it and I highly doubt Stuart Gordon would have been able to direct because he's, oh, he's not, not a studio filmmaker so I think he would have been out although when Arnold was involved he he only wanted to do it with Stuart Gordon so you, maybe you never know I mean maybe maybe they would have let him do it and then that might have been the movie that made him go mainstream you know one of, one of Arnold Schwarzenegger's favorite films of all time is Reanimator so I think he had an inherent love for Stuart Gordon Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, they, they were they were helping each other out a lot. And while I would really love to see the Arnold version of Fortress, I still love the Christopher Lambert version of it. That's got Kirkwood Smith and that's got it's got Jeffrey Combs in it. And it again, this is another one of his movies that kind of feel like a a little bit like a Paul Verhoeven kind of movie, which is really interesting. I've, I've always really loved Fortress. Well, and then after that, he didn't direct for a couple of years, but he did continue to write and produce. Now, I had forgotten until I rewatched this maybe 15 years ago that he wrote Abel Ferrara's Body Snatchers, the 1993 Body Snatchers. Stuart Gordon wrote the screenplay for that because I had totally forgotten that. I everything from the advertising was this was an Abel Ferrara movie. Then I was watching the credits and I went, huh, Stuart Gordon. Damn, I totally forgot that sometimes he would just write screenplays for things like, as we'll get into, the god-awful dentist films. He wrote those. 
you know oh he, the dentist movies are fun oh, no they're not they're oh, they're not come on corbin bernson is going bonkers there no the dentist movies are terrible but then Ooh. but then after the body snatchers remake did not do well back to full moon again all this is technically not full moon but he would write and direct castle freak going back to lovecraft again yeah he, he kind of became the go-to lovecraft guy him and yuzna although gordon more than yuzna would be the Lovecraft guys that, that like half of their careers were Lovecraft adaptations did not like Castle Freak then and I remember seeing it on Joe Bob's show last year I still don't like it I this is one I don't remember enough of the original Lovecraft story to remember if it's accurate or not I just don't like it it feels and I know this is you know band produced it but feels so cheap it feels like a play and that's not necessarily an insult to Stuart Gordon, but I just can't get into this movie. I like it. It's been a while since I've seen it, um, but uh, I remember it being enjoyable and, and kind of gross and weird. And, and it's got Barbara Crampton in it. You know, I mean, how, how can it be bad? I love Castle Freak. Mangled, mutilated dick killer that's been chained in a dungeon for years and years gets released and starts biting nipples off and starts messing people up. And Jeffrey Combs is a recovering alcoholic because he ended up killing one of his kids in a car accident or not killing, but uh, did make his, his daughter go blind or, or something. Um, but I, I've always really enjoyed Castle Freak and it's a band making use of that castle in Italy that he bought that went on to also be the setting for all the was it the sub subspecies movies? Always really enjoyed Castle Freak. I think it's a very underrated slasher film. Well, then after that, he went on to direct Space Truckers. Now, I only saw this movie once in the 90s, and I remember it being ridiculously fun. I remember Space Truckers being, it has direct-to-video written all over it. And I love that. I remember Space Truckers just being a fun, ridiculous movie. And Stuart Gordon deserves credit for that. Dude, Space Truckers is awesome. It's so unexpectedly different. It's you goofy. Some... It's like a living cartoon almost, isn't it? It really is. You, you've you got, got Stephen Dura, Dennis Hopper. Like George Went, uh, Debbie Mazar. Like, uh, it's got a really good cast. Charles Dance just chewing up the scenery as the cyborg bad guy who keeps kind of getting rebuilt. Dennis Hopper is, like, really terrific. Stephen Dorff is really good. Uh, I think visually effects are, are fantastic. Uh, the And then it's got this whole weird subplot the the like killer robots that just can decimate everything it's not at all what you expect the movie to be you kind of are expecting it to be really stupid thing about maybe some hick space truck drivers but no it's actually a really unique violent uh sci-fi action film with a, a you know it's tongue firmly planted in cheek but that's all a part of what makes it so much fun yeah, Space Truckers is fun. Not a whole lot to talk about, but definitely an enjoyable film, I would say. Well, and then the same year he made Space Truckers, like I said, he wrote The Dentist. They, they were continuing to make Honey, I Shrunk sequels, so his name is still attached to that. He would make The Wonderful Ice Cream Suit. He's, he's in bed with Disney again now. So he's making Wonderful Ice Cream Suit with them, and he would go on to direct an episode of the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids TV series that same year. So that's why I'm saying this whole, oh, I'm so pissed at Disney for taking this away. Clearly he's not, because he's continuing to work for Disney again. Now, I have not seen 
I did not watch Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show. So I haven't seen the episode he directed, which is the Halloween episode. So maybe Stuart Gordon can bring some style to it. I don't know. Then there's the wonderful ice cream suit. Based on the Ray Bradbury story, this was also a play he had done many times back in Chicago. Again, it's very locked down camera, very few camera. It's like a televised play. But what sells the wonderful ice cream suit, besides the somewhat ridiculous premise, is the fantastic cast. It's got a killer cast, and Edward James almost looks like he is just enjoying him. Edward James almost steals this movie to me as the super ridiculously, almost comically dirty bum in the wonderful ice cream suit. It's a good movie. One that that not a lot of people talk about when it comes to Stuart Gordon, but very enjoyable film and a cast that definitely feel like they're having a lot of fun. Yeah, the uh, the wonderful ice cream suit. It is, um, I want to say, black sheep of his filmography, simply because it is so far removed from a lot of his other works. Even taking into consideration the fact that he's done straight up kids videos. But I mean, this is, it is a bigger, I'm talking like, I mean, he did the kids video. Yeah. But I mean, it wasn't a movie. That was a short. This, it it's so charming and more than likely, I mean, I know you were saying how, uh, you know, he had uh, disagreements with Disney and whatnot, but I think he probably saw this as an opportunity to do a play, which he already is very comfortable with and doing a play that he had done in the theater many times before and also was able to gather, like you said, this absolutely terrific cast. I think it is, it's a very charming film. It's very just oozing with, I don't want to say style, but there's just something really, really like nice about it. Um, I, I, I think I can quantify what you're talking about. Now, I, this is one where I have not read the source material. I don't know the Ray Bradbury story that this is based on. Kind of has that Bradbury feel to it, doesn't it? That's probably, it has that Bradbury feel to it that I don't want to say wholesome, but wholesome. You know, Bradbury stuff has this weird innocent innocence might not even be the right word. It has it's almost hard to quantify Ray Bradbury. He's sort of a style unto himself, isn't he? Absolutely. There's there's some something weird about this one too in the fact that it's a comedy, it's a character piece, it's very much lighter. You know, it's a it's a Disney film. I've heard differing stories on this, but it was meant to be theatrical. And I remember here, I remember reading an interview where Stuart Gordon talked about how he was very disappointed when it went direct to video. Part of the reason was, and this is the part I can't verify, but I've heard unofficially, it's a Latino movie. It's an almost all Latino cast set in the middle of a Latino neighborhood with Latino people trying to find love that Disney kind of had. Yeah, this is not going to have widescreen appeal. So maybe there's a little bit of racism angle from Disney on. Yeah, we're just going to dump this on videotape, but I can't verify that part. Yeah. What always cracks me up about something like that is where the entire film will be put together and I mean, if this is true, and then at the end, they're like, nah, we can't put out this film this with a bunch ethnic. of Latinos. And it's like, haven't you been paying attention to the entire production up to this point? Or are you just <laughs> kind of, you know, like, ah, let them go. And it's like, wait, they did a movie with what? So I, I don't know. I mean, it's happened before. There are definitely movies where it's gotten to a point where they were getting ready to release it and they were trying to figure out what to do with it. They couldn't market it. They didn't know how to sell it. It was, uh, well, the, you know, this is too ethnic or this is too whatever. So I can kind of see it both ways. I could see it that it's possible it didn't go theatrically because of the cast or maybe that's just somebody trying to, to stir up some, some shit. 
Well, and then after that, he would, like I said, he would work on the dentist movies. He was involved in the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids TV show for like the two or three seasons. That was on the air. And then they made another version of Bleacher Bums, which he did had nothing to do with, but it's based on his play. So for the longest time, he kind of didn't do anything for a couple of years again. Then he would make Dagon in 2001, which I really did not like this one. I know it wasn't a Sci-Fi Channel original movie, but Sci-Fi Channel bought the rights and it debuted as a Sci-Fi Channel original movie. And that might be the, you know, because Sci-Fi Channel originals have that stink to them from the Asylum. I think this one gets lost in the shuffle because it has that Sci-Fi Channel original stink to it, but I still don't think it was a very good movie. I really like Dagon. I think Dagon is underrated. It's got some effects work that don't quite hold up super well, but I've I've always very much enjoyed it as a Lovecraft movie that's sort of a mix of Shadow over Innsmouth and uh, Call of Cthulhu. I've always very much liked it. Um, I think another movie uh, that kind of gets the the stink the stink of uh, Sci-Fi Channel original on it is uh, Dog Soldiers. Because uh, that was the same similar thing. They uh, they sold the uh, American distribution rights to uh, Sci-Fi Channel, and then everybody took it as well. This was a movie that was produced by Sci-Fi. It's probably going to stink. And then they watched it and went, "Oh my God, what is this? This is awesome." Dagon, I think, is it, it's a neat movie. Some of the effects I think don't hold up quite as well, but uh, I like the fact that it is a Stuart Gordon Lovecraft movie. I like it. I think it's uh, I think it's cool. I um I wish they had a little bit more money. But I like it for what it is. And then again, he just kind of boobered around for a couple of years. And then he made King of the Ants with the then relatively new company, The Asylum. They weren't doing the mockbusters yet. They weren't doing all the ripoff stuff yet. If you look at like the first dozen or so movies The Asylum released, they were really, really low budget crime and character pieces like i personally think anarchy tv is quite good but he made this crime thriller king of the ants for the asylum before they got famous and i saw it once and thought it looked terrible i'm not i'm not talking the story it looks like they literally had no money everything looks like it's shot with existing sunlight the it looks like it's shot with the light bulbs that are in the room it looks like it looks like a home video with just professional actors like daniel baldwin and george went in it i really didn't like king of the ants maybe if he'd had a couple of bucks this could have been okay because the story's not terrible this thing looks like something someone threw together in their backyard on a camcorder i really didn't like this movie at all um I like it. I think uh, the story is what elevates it. Am I, I wrong agree. about how cheap it looks? The, the lighting, the lighting is very flat. It kind of does work. This would be a movie if you saw it in in on the big screen in theater, you'd probably be pissed. But I think on the small screen at home, I think it works. It's again, the story is is really unique. I think that uh, you know you've got Kari Wurr in it, you got George Wendt, you got Vernon Wells. Now the lead is Chris McKenna, who he's this guy who is getting like revenge. It's different. It's weird, and there's just something about it that uh, I do like. I I agree. It is very flat looking, but it, it the, looks, the story it looks itself, shot on video, honestly. It does kind of have a shot on video look to it, which unfortunately does really hurt it, which is why it's not like uh, I can't say more good things about it. But I do think, like I said, the story, I think, is what elevates it. I think it is a very unique and different little uh, crime film. 
And it's just a degree. If they did have some more money, they probably would have been able to do uh, a much better job. But again, coming from Asylum, the fact that uh, they were able to do something of this quality at all without 10 tons of, you know, this was long before Sharknado and all that stuff. So it's, I don't know. I think it still works. I think it's still watchable. I think um, it, it should be checked out but it's just not on par with like his other stuff. Well, and then he would kind of go to TV for a little while. He would do one episode for each season of Masters of Horror, and these are a real mixed bag, because Masters of Horror was a strange series. Season one was quite good. They seemed to really be firing on all cylinders. There were a few episodes I didn't like, but in general, and he did another Lovecraft adaptation, Dreams in the Witch House, which was really, really good. I think it aired as the second or third episode, episode of the series was really good. I don't know if there were behind the scenes problems with showtime or budget issues, but season two of Masters of Horror was a steep drop off in quality. I can think of two episodes in the entire second season that were even decent in season two, and you had a lot of the same directors coming back. And his season two episode, The Black Cat, Jeffrey Combs playing Edgar Allan Poe, no problems there, but I thought it was a terrible episode. It was boringly directed. It seemed like he had maybe half the budget he had on Dreams in the Witch House. I don't know all what happened, but Dreams in the Witch House, yes, the Black Cat, just skip it. It's worth it just to see Jeffrey Combs as uh, Edgar Allan Poe. I agree his one in uh, season one was better, but uh, I think they're they're both fine. I believe what happened with season two was that season one ratings wise didn't really do as well. And they they really drastically slashed the budgets for the uh, the seek for season two. And even though I'm jumping a couple of uh, move over a couple of movies here, since we're talking Masters of Horror, let's talk about Fear Itself, the third season, where Showtime was completely finished with the show, and so they dumped it down, and NBC bought it. NBC slashed the budget even more. Every episode of Fear Itself looks exactly the same. It doesn't matter what director you've got in front of it. They all have that washed out saw sort of direct-to-video look. There's no style, and Stuart Gordon directed the episode Eater, and I remember that being one of the worst episodes of the Fear Itself show, which is not saying much for the show itself. I thought he totally dropped the ball on that one. He seems to be having a lot of fun with it, but it's a bad story and poorly directed. The Fear Itself episode freaking just blows. I haven't seen that one, but that's one where I wouldn't chalk it up to him. There's sometimes there's you can only do so much. If every other episode was awesome and then his episode sucked, then you'd be like, okay, well, he dropped the ball. But when every episode sucked, there obviously was problems going on behind the scenes and making it so that they couldn't work to their full potential and make something half decent. And like I said, I jumped ahead a little bit for Fear Itself, so let's go back to 2005. He, again, coming from plays, he had a play called Edmund, and he made that with William H. Macy, someone he'd worked with you know, way back earlier. And in 2005, he made the movie Edmund. I remember seeing this one once and just, it's it's so thoroughly average, I think that's the most offensive thing about the movie. It's so thoroughly average. That is the only one of his that I have not seen. All right, well then, then we go to his last real film. He has one more credit after this, but it's not a real movie. Stuck. And I think Stuck was him really starting to make a comeback. It felt like Stuart Gordon again. While I don't think the movie works, I think the ideas are there. 
I think the cast really do a great job. The screenplay needed some work. Basically, the chick from American Beauty, Milana Suavi or something like that, she hits Main a... Mena Savari. Mena Savari. I can never pronounce her name. He's, he's worked with her before. She was an Edmund as well. But she she hits a guy and he gets stuck in her windshield. And then it was it's based them. off of a real story. Yes. But, it, it, it you know, it's like a tabloidy kind of thing. It's kind of hard to describe stuck if you haven't seen it. it, it Cecil, back me up on that. You You can't really tell someone about stuck. You kind of have to see it. Uh, I like Stuck a lot. Um, I do agree. I, I thought that uh, this was going to be a return for Stuart Gordon because uh, it had a better budget. You had, at, at the time, actress who was uh, like coming off of American Beauty and Mena Savari was still relatively well known because, you know, she was popping up in like Maxim and all that. And she also had, it's not like she didn't do other films after that big theatrical films. So she was kind of a name. The story, like I said, it was based off of a true event. There was a girl who was driving home. She hits a bum, pulls into her, her uh, garage and he's still alive. And so she doesn't know what to do. So she basically is leaving him there to die. And the whole movie, you've got this really bizarre back and forth between her and Stephen Rea, who is the guy in the windshield. And he's trying to like, you know, please take me to the hospital. Please. He's pleading with her. And she's just, you know, why won't you die? You know, she, she just can't. And she's trying to keep everybody from going into her garage. It's got a little bit of a dark comedy element to it. It's it has a real well tabloid done. feel. And, and I remember a couple, like the poster is even like a National Enquirer cover. He was yeah, very much going for the tabloid sensationalistic angle of it. Yeah, it absolutely is. I think it works. I think it worked really well. And a lot of uh, it got good reviews. But like I said, I just felt like that the screenplay let me down. It it doesn't work as well as it should. And weirdly enough, the movie feels padded. It feels like this is an hour long story in a 90 minute time slot. A lot of scenes that go nowhere and have no bearing on the story or characters. This really feels like it should have been maybe a Masters of Horror episode instead of a movie. I'll agree it did need some tweaking. I still think overall it was uh, it was good. And then finally, Stuart Gordon's final credit before his death was a full moon clip show called Bunker of Blood Chapter 5 Psycho Sideshow Demon Freaks. You have three colons in the one title. Right there, that should tell you this is not quality material. It's Bunker of Blood, oh, no, colon, thinking... Chapter 5, colon, Psycho Sideshow, colon, Demon Freaks. That's a problem right there in your title, but it's... Well, as we know, people only need one colon. You know, some people only need a semicolon. This is just a clip show with him and Dave, footage from David Dakota movies and all that, that band just put out. I, I think Castle Freak is the is the stuff that he used from Stuart Gordon in this, and so it's kind of sad that his last credit is a f***ing clip show, because I think Stuart Gordon deserved better than this. Like I said, it might sound like I was being insulting when I said he's very workmanlike, and he doesn't move the camera. He treats everything like a play. I don't mean that in an insulting way. That's his style, I guess. I just think he deserved better than what he got. He's mostly just known as, oh, the, the, the Lovecraft guy. And I think he was more than that. I think he was for sure. I think there's a lot of his works that people still need to go and check out. And there's a lot of people that don't realize that he was not only just a great director and writer, but he's also produced a lot of movies that, that people consider to be cult and fan favorites. You know, I, I brought up uh, Guyver. He was part of that. 
I, I do think that he is a really great filmmaker. Like, I really love uh, Fortress. I really love Robot Jocks, just the same as I love uh, Reanimator, From Beyond, and Dagon. Like, I, I pretty much love all of his work, and I'm going to continue to love it, and I'm going to continue to revisit it because they are some of my favorite genre films in general. And also, Stuart Gordon had a reputation of being thoroughly approachable and a really down-to-earth nice guy. You hear this from both people he worked with, people that were on crew with him, people who've met him at cons or in person. He seemed to be a genuinely nice guy, which we can't say for all people we've ever done retros on. I, I just think the fact that everyone remembers him as such a nice guy is also a huge positive that should not be overlooked. Yeah, an absolute class act, um, a solid worker, a great director, a great writer, uh, somebody who we definitely are going to, to miss, somebody that we don't have a lot of Stuart Gordons out there. We may never have another one who really is quite as versatile as, uh, as he is ever again. So I hope you guys go and check out some of Stuart Gordon's movies or some of the weirder TV stuff. Almost all of it can be found readily available on video. I don't know about streaming. I don't know what the hell is on streaming because I don't give a crap about that. But you can find most of it on video or things like Bleacher Bums, the 1979 quote-unquote TV movie. That's on YouTube for free. Just check out... A lot of his movies are on uh, Tubi TV. That's because they have a deal with Full Moon, so, you know, anything he did with Full Moon is probably on Tubi. But so check out Stuart Gordon. You might, a lot of people might not know his name, but you've definitely seen his works. So that said, where can people find Cecil watching whatever Stuart Gordon movie he's going to be watching tonight? You can find me at goodbadflix.com as well as goodbadflix on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. Where can we find Peter? You can find me nursing a hangover over there on uh, at Twitter, at Cinematica, Facebook, The Cinemasticus, YouTube, The Cinemasticus, 1201beyond.com, with other fine programming, and on Patreon, at Cinematica, watch Stuart Gordon Films. You can find me at 1201beyond.com. Contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Remember, we have a Patreon if you want to help us out. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. <laughs>
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.